Thank you, Dave and Brittany. Appreciate that. Thank the Lord we can. Mount up on eagle's wings. Speaking of that, Brother Tommy uh, had a prayer request this week. Brother Randy sent out the church cast to pray for his grandson. Brother Tommy said his grandson is home doing much better. Thank the Lord. Boy, whenever we face troubles, we can go to the Lord in prayer and he comes in and Picks us up. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. We'll be in Luke chapter number 2 this morning. Luke chapter number 2. Uh, continuing uh, to look at the life of Christ. We started this beginning of December. And we're taking and, and looking at the life of Christ from His birth. And prayerfully, Lord willing, uh, we will be ending up on His crucifixion around Easter time. And so we're just going through the book of Luke. Uh, definitely not able to go through every story and every passage. But we're just following the life of Christ and the major events in His life. Uh, as we go through the book of Luke. This morning we're going to be looking at Christ in the temple. Christ in the temple. Whenever you consider the life of the Lord Jesus, you will find that there's very minimal record in the Word of God concerning His childhood. And of course, we know uh, that the thrust uh, of uh, the ministry of Christ was from the time that He was 30 until He was 33. And of course, uh, that thrust of His ministry is what makes up the most uh, of the gospel narrative that helps us to understand what it was that He was accomplishing through His ministry. Uh, but we do know <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we do know that he was born there in Bethlehem. And of course, he uh, grew up. His father was a carpenter. He worked with his father uh, as a carpenter and uh, lived a normal life there uh, in the land until he was an adult and began his ministry. And so uh, whenever we look at that, we wonder, well, what happened uh, uh, from his birth uh, until he began his ministry? What took place? And the Bible really doesn't give us a lot, although there are a couple of stories about his childhood that are recorded in the Word. Of God. And so we're going to be looking uh, actually at both of these accounts this morning uh, uh, concerning Christ in the temple. Now, I'm going to do my best not to wear y'all out with constantly referring uh, uh, to Israel as I go through the message. We just preached the message, but there are many, many things that you can understand, and so I'll just throw a couple of those out. One thing uh, that I did not know, had never realized, but was made out. Uh, very clear uh, while we there were there is that the word carpenter, as we have in our English Bible, we always think of a carpenter, uh, someone that builds houses, works with wood and that type of thing. Uh, but actually, uh, that was more speaking of a craftsman, someone who would have worked with stone and wood. So Christ would have been someone uh, who worked with stone. Many of the buildings there are built out of stone, and so he would have worked with stone and wood in constructing buildings. He would have been a builder. Uh, and there is actually Actually, a town just a little ways from Nazareth uh, uh, that was being rebuilt. Uh, it had been destroyed and was being rebuilt during the time of Christ and many believe uh, it was about four or five miles from Nazareth. Many believe that is where Joseph and Jesus worked. It was there in that town rebuilding that town. That's where they had their livelihood. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of things that we look and, and we do not know from the Word of God but we can know from history and find out about the life of Christ. Whenever we look into the Gospels, we find, of course, that uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We find that He fled uh, to Egypt with His parents. Then He returned uh, uh, to Nazareth where He would grow up uh, working under Joseph, uh, learning the trade of building. During His childhood, as I said, only two specific events uh, are recorded but both of these events are notable. You'll find out whenever you study the Word of God, and something you should always keep in your mind when you study the Word of God, is that there is nothing 
in the Word of God that does not serve a purpose. If it is in the Bible, it has a purpose. There is an idea. There is a theme. There is a truth that is being taught. And so whenever you study the Word of God, many times we look into the Word of God as a historical book. Although it does have history in it, it's not a history book. The Bible is a book that is written for one purpose, and that is to proclaim the salvation that is available through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whenever you look in the Word of God and you begin to look at these stories and these accounts, uh, uh, many times we will miss uh, the big idea as we focus uh, on the history. And so this morning, as we look at these two instances, uh, I believe that we find the reason that these two accounts uh, from the childhood of the Lord Jesus Christ are recorded in the Word of God, whereas many others are not. I believe the reason they are recorded is because they give clear confirmation of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this this morning, uh, we will see that interestingly as we look at these two uh, uh, events in the life of Christ, we will find that they both occurred in relation to the temple. You know what? Something I have found out uh, is that good things uh, happen for Christians uh, in the church house. Uh, we see here that both of these instances in the life of Christ uh, occurred in relation to the temple. Look with me in Luke chapter number 2 and we'll begin reading in verse uh, number 22 down through verse number 24 and then we'll drop down a little bit. The first account that we find is here in verse number 22 and the Bible says and when the days of her purification speaking of Mary the mother of Jesus when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now drop with me down to verse number 41. Uh, from verse 24 to verse number 20, uh, 41, 12 years have passed. And in verse number 41, the Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into this message this morning. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, dear Lord, for your church. I thank you, dear Lord, that you said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Father, oh Lord, here we are thousands of years later. Oh Lord, after, after the devil thought he had defeated you and yet, Lord, your church still stands. Your church still goes on. It still ministers. And Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you, dear Lord, for yourself. And Lord, how that you gave yourself for us as a sacrifice. Lord, that a way of sacrifice 
salvation might be made. Lord, I thank you for your people, oh Lord, that gather together, oh Lord, to learn of you, Lord, to follow you, to conform their life that they might be like you. Father, I thank you for each one of them. Oh Lord, as we gather here this morning, Lord, I know that there are those in this congregation this morning, Lord, that are facing troubles. They are facing trials. They are facing things that they do not understand and things they are not sure, oh Lord, what they should do next. Father, I pray that you will be with each person that is here. I pray, dear Lord, as Brother Dave and Miss Brittany sang, Lord, that you will lift them up on angels' wings. And Father, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, as we navigate this thing called life, that, Lord, we will rely upon you. We will depend upon you. And, Lord, that we will allow you to work in our lives. Bless now, Lord, as we look into this message this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll take these accounts from your childhood. And, Father, help us to see uh, without doubt that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless now. And, Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we look at this passage, uh, uh, we're going to begin by looking at some physical facts uh, concerning these events. uh, And then we'll conclude with a consideration uh, of the reason for these events being recorded uh, in the gospel story of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin, we see first the passage there, starting in verse number 22, uh, which is the presentation in the temple. Now the Bible tells us that in this passage that Joseph or that Jesus was taken by Joseph and Mary to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. Uh, The scripture tells us two things concerning this dedication. First, we find that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple at the set time. There was a specific time when he was to be taken to the temple and we see in this passage that he was taken at a set time. In verse number 22, it says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now what are these days of purification? How old was Jesus when he went to the temple? Many folks will say that he was eight days old when he went to the temple based on verse number 21. But actually, we can find out from the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 12. If you want to turn over there, you can. We find from Leviticus chapter number 12 uh, that the days of purification was not eight days. Eight days was the circumcision and when he received his name, but the time that he went to the temple was much later. In Leviticus chapter number 12 and in verse number 2, the law of God is being given concerning uh, taking children to the temple. And the Bible says there in the law, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman hath conceived seed and born a man-child, Then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. Catch this next phrase. She shall touch no hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. So we know from this passage of Scripture that not it wasn't that she went on the eighth day, but she went on the fortieth day. She was not to go into the sanctuary or touch any hallowed thing until after forty days. Now this was actually doubled if she had a maid child, but for a man child uh, it was to be forty days. So it makes it clear that Jesus was taken from Bethlehem to the temple in Jerusalem for his dedication when 
when he was 40 days old. Now, I'm not going to get into this study at all, but I will say uh, that there is a common belief that Jesus was a year and a half to two years old when the wise men came. And that is pretty much commonly believed. But whenever you look at this, uh, him being 40 days old when they took him to Bethlehem, you look at the narrative in all the Gospels, uh, I believe that we may find that the wise men came well before he was a year and a half old. But we'll not get into all of that study. If you're interested, I'll show you another time. We'll talk about it. I'll show you how that I believe the wise men came much earlier. Uh, but we see here that Jesus was taken from Bethlehem to the temple in Jerusalem for dedication when he was 40 days old. In addition to taking him to the temple at the set time, we find that he was dedicated according to the law. If you look back there in that passage in Leviticus and look at verse number 6, you see that the Bible says, And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation under the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. Now if we look at the account here in the book of Luke, we see in verse number 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Pigeons. These two comparisons make it clear that Joseph and Mary were in tune with the law of God. Uh, they uh, desired to govern their family according to the guidelines and the instructions that were found in the Word of God. We see here that Joseph and Mary had both uh, a previous knowledge of the Word of God and a practical application of God's law. Uh, we see that they understood the law of God and what the law of God required before they became parents. Before they had a child, they had an understanding of the law of God and what the law of God required. And when they became parents, they were then able to practically apply the law of God to their lives that they might adhere to what God had commanded in His Word. Let me just say that whether we're talking about becoming parents, whether we're talking about marrying a spouse, or whether we're talking about taking a job or anything that we might do in life, we are far better if we have a knowledge of the Word of God before we find ourselves in a place where we need to apply the Word of God. Many people don't look into the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches until they find themselves in a situation. Joseph and Mary had a previous knowledge of the Word of God and a practical application of God's law. I believe believe that successful parenting always begins with a parent who studies and applies the Word of God. Now we could run a little rabbit trail here. We'll try not to. But I believe that one thing that is very much missing in our day is that parents are replacing the importance of the Word of God in the home with the opinions and theories of mankind and what they think works. And they're walking away from what God says works. And we see many, many parents... And and many, many families that are struggling because they refuse to follow the old black book. 
We see here that Joseph and Mary were people who studied God's law. They were people who applied God's law. Uh, following this initial trip to Jerusalem at 40 days, uh, uh, we find that Joseph and Mary returned to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Passover. Every year they returned to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, although they went every year, uh, uh, this trip... Uh, that is recorded in Luke chapter number 2, occurred when Jesus was 12 years of age. Now, this is the 12th time that he has traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. There's been many trips out there to celebrate the Passover, but when he was 12 years old, there was something that happened that was notable that God wanted recorded in his word, and I believe he wanted it recorded because it gives proof of the divinity of the Son of God. And we'll be looking at that in just a moment. Let's take a couple minutes here to look at some facts concerning this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. In verse number 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. We see first that this pilgrimage to Jerusalem was an annual trip. This was something that they did every single year. Now, we don't grasp completely the amount of commitment that it took to make this trip to Jerusalem every year. Once a year, Joseph and his family would pack up their belongings and they would travel by foot from Nazareth to the city of Jerusalem to partake in the Passover. Now, from Nazareth to Jerusalem is a trip of about 90 miles. Uh, some of you may have heard uh, folks speak uh, of the songs of ascent. Uh, in the book of Psalms, there are many psalms uh, that are considered the songs of ascent. Uh, and these psalms were songs that were sung by the pilgrims who were going to Jerusalem for the Passover. They would sing these psalms as they went. Uh, it was a thing of worship all the way there. And the reason they are called songs of ascent is because the journey from any part of Israel to Jerusalem is all uphill. You are going up, 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 all the way from any part of Israel that you may be traveling. When you go to Jerusalem for the Passover, you are going uphill all the way. We see that this was a journey of about 90 miles, uh, depending on how, how many people they had with them, how quickly the group could move. Uh, if you were by yourself, uh, the trip could be made uh, in about three days. If you was healthy and fit and, and just pushed hard, you could make the trip in about three days. When families traveled together, uh, uh, it would normally take five to seven days for a family to be able to make this trip uh, uh, from uh, Nazareth to Jerusalem. And so we see that Joseph uh, and Mary would take their family and they would get their family and they get together with other family members and they would make this journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem five to seven days walking all day long camping at night, getting up at daylight, walking all day long, camping at night, getting up, having to pack provisions of food, no McDonald's, no Chick-fil-A, no place to stop and get anything, had to pack your food, had to bring your animals with you because nobody could stay home and take care of your animals. This was a pilgrimage. All week long they would journey day after day after day after day until they finally arrived in Jerusalem and then they would take part in the feast of the Passover that lasted for seven days. Seven days they would be there partaking in the feast of the Passover. Then after the 
Passover was over, they would begin the journey home. And of course, now we're going downhill, so it's a little easier. But still, walking all day, camping at night, all the way back, they would go to Nazareth and they did this every year, every year, every year, every year. They would take three to four weeks out of their life, out of their schedule to go to Jerusalem. You say, well, Pastor John, if I only had to go to church once a year, I wouldn't mind uh, taking four weeks out of my year either. But see, here's what you don't understand, is that wasn't the only time they went to church. There was a synagogue in Nazareth where they met weekly to hear the law of God read and to hear it expounded weekly. They would sit there. I was able to sit in a synagogue in Nazareth that had been reconstructed. That would have been very similar to the very synagogue that the Lord Jesus would have been in. And there in Nazareth, they would meet in the synagogue weekly of hearing the law of God. This is how they learned it. This is how they knew it. They would meet there weekly. Then once a year, they would take a month out of their life to go and worship the Lord walking, singing the Psalms all the way to Jerusalem, spending a week, then coming all the way back. These people were people who were dedicated to the service of the Lord. They were devout in their service and their worship of the Lord. This was an annual trip. But this year when they left Jerusalem to come back home, something happened that had not happened before. In verse 43 to verse number 45 of Luke 2, we see the absent child. In Luke 2, verse number 43, it says, And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, before you criticize Joseph and Mary, understand that in Jewish culture, when a young man reaches 12 years of age, uh, he is considered a man. And he is considered uh, uh, able to conduct himself. Also understand that they traveled in a large group. The road that they traveled on later, Jesus would refer to this road in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that parable from Jericho to Jerusalem? Uh, uh, and the, the, the fellow was going along there and he was taken by thieves. Uh, uh, this was the road that they would travel on. This is the way that they would go, so they would travel in large groups for safety. And so whenever they left Jerusalem to come back home, uh, Mary figured that he was with Joseph. Joseph figured he was with Mary. Both of them, if they were together, figured he was hanging out with his cousins, uh, and nobody gave a lot of thought about it. And here they go. They travel for a day, and they, it's time to set up camp. You know, we've walked for several hours, said it went about a day's journey. Time to set up camp. They go to set up camp. Uh, Joseph says, uh, uh, Jesus, can you go get me some firewood? And wait, where is he? Mary, have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen Jesus. They begin to ask around. Uh-oh, Jesus isn't here. Now, I don't know if you've ever misplaced your child. You don't have to admit to it, but more of us have done it than like to admit to it. In the supermarket, you turn around and look, and you're like, where's that kid? I remember one time we was at Kmart in Waynesboro, and uh, that was a long time ago when that place was open. We was at Kmart in Waynesboro, and Melissa realized that John was missing. And John was just a little guy. He was supposed to have his hand on the buggy, and he didn't have his hand on the buggy. She's like, oh, no, where's John? She's looking around for John, and she says to me, this John, John, have you seen little John? Where's John at? And we don't know, and we're looking. And then we look over just a little ways, uh, and there's some ladies' clothes hanging. You know one of them racks that's got clothes hanging on both sides? 
and it's like a wave. Them clothes are going, I mean, all the way down that aisle. And I said, I think I know where he's at. And boy, he was having a time. He was running between them racks of clothes, boy, just as hard as he could go. But boy, there for just a minute, when you say, I've misplaced my child, your heart stops. Where are they at? Where, where did they go? Uh-oh, what's wrong? And boy, your mind begins to think in worst case scenario, this could be bad, this could be terrible. Can you imagine understanding where they were at? They were on a road that was known for thieves. They traveled the road in groups because of the, the possibility of being robbed on that road. And here they are. It's, it's dusk. It's getting ready to get dark. They realize that Jesus is somewhere, not with them, between them and Jerusalem, in harm's way. Where is he? Can you imagine the panic that they felt? Uh, we see here that there was an absent child. And of course, as we're talking, uh, whenever you have an absent child, you find that uh, parents become very anxious. You have some anxious parents. It says in verse number 45, And when they found him not among their kinfolk, uh, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Can you imagine their fear? Can you imagine the fear that ran through the heart and the mind of Joseph and Mary when they realized Jesus wasn't with them? Knowing where they were, the reputation of the area, I'm sure they were imagining the worst possible scenario sun's beginning to set. They say, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. He's somewhere between here and there. Somebody could have jumped him. A wild animal could have got him. I don't know what's happened, but we've got to go find him. And as the sun began to set, here goes Joseph and Mary by themselves, not considering their own safety, heading back to Jerusalem. Can you see them going up the trail? Jesus! 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 They're looking for him. They're worried. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what has happened. They are concerned. They're looking in the ditches. They're looking over the cliffs. They're trying to find him all the way back. They're going. They probably go until it's so dark. They can't see anything at all and they can't travel. They lay down to rest. It's first light. They are back up again and they are heading back. They get back to Jerusalem. They go to the people's houses that they lodged in. Have you seen him? And they go to the marketplaces where they had shopped while they were there. Have you seen him? And finally... After three days, they go to the temple. Can you imagine? Now understand, Mary and Joseph, just people like me and you. You just put yourself in their shoes. You've been looking for three days, and you walk into the temple, and there he sits. Just stop for a moment and process all the emotions you would have felt. I mean, can you imagine the emotions that went through their mind? They would have been thrilled that he was alive, amazed at where he was at, uh, very angry that he put them through all this turmoil and strife. Boy, the emotions that went through their mind. But here sat Jesus there talking and discussing the law with the doctors and teachers. But Joseph and Mary would soon realize that this wasn't the actions of a careless 12-year-old who disregarded the concern of his parents. This was a revelation of the divine character of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every passage of Scripture, we must understand, it's been recorded for a reason. There's a purpose for it. There's a message to be conveyed, a truth to be revealed. And this passage is no different because here in the temple, 
There was a confirmation of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ given that confirmed this is the Son of God. We see here last of all this morning the proofs of His divine lineage. Why are these stories recorded? As I've said, I believe they're recorded for one purpose, and that is to give proof of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're given to confirm that He is indeed the Messiah. As we study the Scriptures, we find that the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ is confirmed before He was born through prophecy. It was confirmed at His birth through the announcement of the angels, the, uh, the presence of the star, the arrival of the shepherds and the wise men. And here we see that His divinity is confirmed during His boyhood. As we continue following His life over the next weeks, we will find that all the Word of God is filled with proof of His divinity all the way from His conception to His resurrection. And I believe these two accounts are recorded for the purpose of confirming who He is. I want to take just a minute and show you a few proofs from this passage of Scripture. We see first of all that His divinity was proven through the prophetic blessing of Simeon. In Luke chapter number 2, verse number 25, they arrived in the temple to dedicate the, the baby Jesus at 40 days old. And it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We see that Joseph and Mary, 40 days after the birth of Christ, they still have the memory of the shepherds. They still have the memory of the wise men. They still have the memory of the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come into the temple to present this child. And the priest comes out and Simeon sees the child. And immediately it is revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that this is the Messiah. And without any explanation, without Mary and Joseph identifying who they are, or telling him anything about the child, Simeon begins to prophesy, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior of the world. And he confirmed at the birth of Christ and he confirmed at the dedication of Christ that this is the Savior of the world. Not only do we see the prophetic blessing of Simeon, but we also see, if we move down uh, to the story about the temple, uh, we see the profound understanding of Jesus, which I believe again is a proof of His divinity. In verse number 46, it says, And He came to pass after three days they found Him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard Him were astonished at His understanding and answers. I see here the profound understanding of Jesus as a proof 
of his divinity. Now at 12 years of age, he would have already been, uh, would have already received much schooling in the law of God. But he would have by no means been considered uh, equal to uh, the doctors and lawyers that sat uh, there in the temple. But here sits uh, the child Jesus uh, talking with the doctors and lawyers, get this, uh, not as a student, uh, but as the author of the law. Someone that had absolute 100% complete understanding. I believe that whenever we see the understanding that he had of the law at 12 years of age, it confirms to us without a doubt the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that though, I believe that a third proof of his divinity is found in the positive recognition of his heavenly Father. Verse number 48, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Here we have another proof of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ in that as a 12-year-old boy, he recognized that he was not the son of Joseph, but he was the son of God. He knew who he was. There are those who would like us to think that Jesus was just a good teacher who after he became an adult uh, tried to sell himself uh, as the Messiah. There were many people who tried to do that. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, there in Israel we were at the welling wall and a lady came up to us and uh, began to tell us that we needed to follow the seven laws of Moses and she was rattling off all these laws of Moses and uh, how that we would be blessed with uh, long life and all these things if we would follow the laws of Moses. And one of the pastors that was with us uh, said to her, but we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we have everything you're talking about through the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, you're mistaken. He is not the Messiah. Rabbi so-and-so, uh, who is my teacher, is the true Messiah. And boy, for all of time, there have been people uh, who have claimed to be the Messiah. There have been people who after they came into adulthood, uh, after they got an understanding, uh, began to try and sell themselves as the Messiah. But here we have a 12-year-old boy uh, who had a complete uh, understanding uh, of who he was. It wasn't something he was trying to sell. It wasn't something that he was doing to gain popularity. He said, I must be about my father's business. I have been sent for a purpose and I must do what he's called me to do. I believe we see here a positive recognition of the Lord Jesus Christ of his heavenly father and this proves his divinity. You may say, Pastor John, why is it so important that we prove that Jesus is the Messiah? Why, why is that so important that we prove that? Because when we believe that he is the Messiah, we realize that he is the only way of salvation for all of time. No, no one wants to face judgment when they die. No one wants to spend eternity in hell. No, nobody wants that. But for some reason, for all of time, man has tried to find another way. 
Man has tried to find another way to secure his eternity. He has tried to find another way to avoid judgment. He has tried to find another way to make sure that he can spend eternity in heaven. And whenever we realize that Jesus is the Messiah, we recognize that there is no other way of salvation except through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way. We realize that he is the Lamb of God. He is the spotless Lamb. He is the one who can wash away our sin. He is the only one who can mediate between ourselves and the God of the universe. He is the only way who can clothe us with righteousness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door of salvation. And the Word of God is full of proof that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe these two stories are recorded in the book of Luke to drive home to us the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The invitation to accept the gift of grace that is available through the Lord Jesus Christ and that is found throughout the Word of God is offered to each and every person. Perhaps we look and we see this gift of grace illustrated through a parable. Perhaps uh, uh, we see this gift of grace being taught uh, through the performance of a miracle. Uh, Perhaps uh, we see this gift of grace uh, being revealed through a couple of stories from the childhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But from Genesis to Revelation, this book uh, is filled with the message that there is a gift of grace. The question is, will you accept? You know, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see people who reject the grace of God. Probably the saddest thing that I've seen in Israel was hundreds of Jews at the Welling Wall reading prayers, weeping, putting their hand on the wall, They won't go up on Temple Mount. They are afraid that they'll defile the Temple Mount. They won't go up there. So they stand at the Welling Wall. And they cry. And they pray. And they beg God. They refuse to accept the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is probably nothing more sad than to see people, whether they be Jews who have turned the grace of God into works and are seeking for an answer that God has already provided, or whether it be folks here in our hometown who refuse to accept the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because they don't want to quit their sin. Maybe it's because they don't want to live the life that they think the Bible is going to require them to live. Maybe it's because they're afraid of what people's going to say about them. Maybe it's because they're afraid that people will mock and ridicule them, whatever it may be. There is nothing though that is more sad than seeing people who refuse the grace of God. But all through this word of God we see over and over and over again that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Messiah says, whosoever will may come. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in to him This morning, the question that I ask you is, will you accept the gift of the Savior? Will you put your trust 
in the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Let's all stand to our feet. Miss Debbie's going to come to the piano. I don't know each of you that are here today, but I imagine that there's someone here this morning that has never accepted the gift of grace. I imagine there's someone here that maybe you've been interested, maybe you've been coming to church, maybe you've been intrigued about the things of God, maybe you've been trying to live the way you think God wants you to, but there has never been a time when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There has never been a time when you repented of your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection as a way of salvation. Let me tell you, friends, you can never, ever get to heaven on your own. You can't do enough good to outweigh the debt that you owe. The only means of salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Miss Debbie plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, you come.